Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The 4th of July, I always have a lot of mixed emotions on that holiday. I mean, it is a great American holiday, but you know, it fills me with joy and sadness at the same time because I really like commemorating what America was and the whole idea of what independence stood for and what made America different because being an American was really different than being a German or being French or being Italian. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with living in any of those countries. And I, you know, I don't blame people for being patriotic about those countries. But being an American was very different because all these other countries throughout the world, you know, they all basically they, they were ruled by kings and they gradually were able to get some of their rights right from the crown. The crown surrendered some rights to the subjects. And and so everything basically flowed from from the top up. But America was a different story. I mean, once we declared our independence, right? And, you know, interestingly enough, I, you know, I just read a, uh, a survey that said only, I think only uh, 75% of the adults who were surveyed knew from which country America won its independence. And uh, I, I think even a smaller percentage, I think 70% or uh, one third rather didn't know what year America won that independence from. You know, I wonder if the people who didn't know the year that America won its independence from Great Britain, I wonder if they also could name uh, the basketball team from Philadelphia or if they even could make the connection. But let me just get back on topic. So when we declared and won independence in 1776 or declared it and won it eventually, America we basically created our government. We, the people, had all the power, and we surrendered some of our power to form a limited government. So the government exists because it was a creation of the people, and the people had unlimited power or ultimate power that they ceded to a government. So the opposite of what happened in most of the world, where you have a big government getting smaller as it gradually gives up some power to the people, here you have the people having all the power and then ceding or giving up a small amount of that power to a government. And, and this was unique. And being an American really was different from being a citizen of any other country. I mean, we were really free people, individual, sovereign. Uh, and as a result of this uniquely American way of life, right, this 
limited government, this, this, the rugged individual. This is the reason that America prospered. This is the reason that we created the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And so I like to celebrate that, the anniversary of the beginning of this experiment in freedom and limited government. But it saddens me to know that that experiment failed, that we no longer have what the founding fathers uh, established. Remember the famous quote from uh, Benjamin Franklin, what have you given us, Mr. Franklin? A republic, if you can keep it. Well, we now know that we couldn't keep it, and we have degenerated. We have become what the founding fathers feared most is a democracy. And if you think democracy is so great, look at what's going on in South Africa. I just posted something on my Facebook page about the South African government looking to nationalize uh, property and redistribute it to the voters, right? Vote for me and I'll steal for you. That's democracy. Democracy is doing more damage to South Africa than apartheid. And it is a very dangerous form of government. And unfortunately, that's what we have today in America. And so, you know, it isn't different anymore. I mean, we are not uh, different from the Germans or the British or the Italians or the French. Unfortunately, we're all the same, right? You know, now, you know, being American doesn't doesn't mean what it used to mean. And so that that's what makes me sad. At the same time, I still like to enjoy uh, celebrating that unique American holiday. And of course, you know, other countries, they have their own uh, Independence Day or their own national day that they celebrate. So, And what I like about those holidays is it's not like it's something that everybody is celebrating. Christmas is being celebrated all over the world, right? But when you have a holiday like the 4th of July or like Thanksgiving, that is an American holiday that Americans are celebrating on their own because they're Americans, it really does make you feel uh, patriotic. I just wish I could have celebrated these holidays 100 years ago when they actually meant something. You know, not that I would trade the technology we have today for the technology that existed 100 years ago. Clearly, uh, science uh, has produced a lot of advancements over the over the century, and I'm I'm glad for that. But of course, had it not been for government, had the economy been freer, imagine you know how much more we would have produced in these last hundred years if we had the same amount of government we had a hundred years ago, consistently throughout the last century. Imagine the advancements that would have taken place. I mean, we would have a standard of living far higher than what we have today had the government not slowed down the pace of innovation to the extent that it did. I mean, the, the fact that we've been able to achieve so much with all these government-created roadblocks, you know, you, you can, you know, wonder your mind just postulating what could have happened had we not had all the government. I mean, look at the advancements that took place during the period of the Industrial Revolution. Look at how the U.S. Uh, was transformed in the first half of the 20th century, I think the transformation would have even been greater had we maintained that low level of government that we began uh, the 19th century with, had we you know, had that same amount of government throughout the entirety of the 20th century and the 21st century, uh, we would be reaping the benefits. Based on the feedback I got to the earlier portion of yesterday's podcast, where I was talking about my mixed emotions when it comes to the celebration of Independence Day in the United States, I wanted to elaborate on it and talk a little bit more about what it really means to be an American and what made being an American different than being 
uh, British or being German or being Spanish. And, you know, and I did mention yesterday that one of the key differences was that in most nations of the world, individuals gradually won freedoms that were granted to them uh, by a monarch, where, you know, the monarch had all of the power and over time, privileges were granted uh, to subjects where they now got rights that they didn't previously have and they were granted uh, from above by the crown. Whereas in the United States, it was the opposite. We started with all of our rights. I mean, sure, initially we were British subjects, but after the Revolutionary War, we, you know, we left the uh, the king, and now we were a free, independent people. We were a collection of uh, of colonies, but we were sovereign. And Americans had all of their rights and all of their powers not given to them by government, but they had them naturally. They were there by birth, as a birthright, a gift from God or from nature, not from government. But then Americans created their government, and they created government by surrendering some of their power, empowering government to do some things. And so American government was created from the people, and the government in America did not give us our rights. We gave the government its limited power. So in America, the people are the master the government is the servant, not the case in the rest of the world, right? Where the government had supreme power, the government was the master and allowed privileges, allowed its servants to have more and more privileges over time. Well, since Americans' rights and liberties come from nature, come from God, then the government can't take them away because the government didn't give us these rights. We created the government to secure our rights. That's another thing that is uniquely American is that we have government not to give us stuff, but to simply secure our rights. And that is one of the things that bothers me about when Americans celebrate Independence Day today, because Americans really don't want freedom. What Americans want is free stuff, but free stuff is not freedom. Because when the government gives you something, number one, they take away your choice because they tell you what you're going to get and how you're going to get it. But when the government gives you something, they must take away something from somebody else. And when the government takes things from people, that diminishes their freedom. The servant is not supposed to steal from the master. But that is exactly what happens when the government promises to give somebody something. They must take something away from somebody else. That is not what America is about. We are not supposed to have a government which robs its citizens, right? We're not supposed to rob from Peter to pay Paul. You know, if you look at how the U.S. government was established, look at the Constitution. The Constitution created a federal government, and it created the federal government. Prior to the Constitution, we were organized under the Articles of Confederation. And one of the criticisms of the Articles of Confederation was that the federal government was too small, and so they wanted to make it slightly larger. They didn't want to make it big and powerful. They just wanted it to have a little bit more power than the government did under the Articles. And so 
they enacted the Constitution. And if you read the Constitution, and of course very few people do these days, or if they read it, they don't understand it, all of the powers of the federal government are contained in Article 1, Section 8. And it's not a big section. There's like, I think there's what, 18 uh, enumerated powers in the Constitution. And the Constitution is written in two ways. It grants powers to the federal government, and then it denies powers to the states. And you know that by reading the 10th Amendment to the Constitution, to the Bill of Rights, which actually lays out how the Constitution is organized and that the federal government only has those powers that are expressly granted to it in the Constitution. And the states can do or reserve powers. They retain powers because the states already existed prior to the writing of the Constitution. And so if the Constitution didn't specifically prohibit the states from doing something, then it could do it. So the powers were either denied to the states or granted to the federal government. And, you know, we know what the Constitution means, not only because its writing is clear. Today, they say the Constitution needs to be interpreted, right? The Supreme Court is there to interpret the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't need to be interpreted, right? It's not written in Chinese. It's written in plain English. The Constitution needs to be applied. It needs to be enforced. It doesn't need to be interpreted. When people talk about interpreting the Constitution, they really talk about ignoring the Constitution and to impart meaning that doesn't exist because people who want to interpret the Constitution don't like what it says. And so they want to change the meaning. They want to expand the powers of the federal government. But if you look back at the Federalist Papers and look at what the founders wrote about the meaning of the document, right? look at uh, James Madison. I'm going to read in particular from Federalist Paper number 45. And if you don't know what the Federalist Papers are and you've never read them, it's a collection of, uh, of writings that were written at the time that the Constitution was being ratified and it was trying to generate support for the new Constitution. And it was James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay were the, the authors of what became to be known the Federalist Papers. But I want to just read one quote from Madison. And Madison is considered the father of the Constitution. So the father of a document ought to understand what is written right in the child, that is the U.S. Constitution. And this is what Madison writes in Federalist Paper number 45. The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. The former will be exercised primarily on external objects as war, peace, negotiations and foreign commerce with which last the power of taxation will, for the most part, be connected. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all objects which, in the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives, liberties and properties of the people and the internal order, improvement and prosperity of the state. So in other words, here is James Madison saying the federal government's powers are few few and defined, and that mainly it is going to be involved in external affairs, right? In war, in peace, in trade negotiations. And that is where taxes, right, are going to be. It's just taxes will be associated with these functions. So the government will need taxes in case there's a war to provide for the army. But everything else, everything that has to do with domestic affairs, that's all going to be done by the states. 
This is what a Madison wrote. Now, when you think of the federal government today and you think of all the things the federal government does, do you think that the federal government's powers are few and defined? But I want to go and read from the Constitution. This is Article 1, Section 8. This is where all the powers of Congress are laid out. These are the few powers that Madison was referring to. And I'm going to start by reading the beginning of it. It says that the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. That's it. This is what the government is empowered to do. It can lay taxes. And of course, there are other uh, limiting factors in the way they can tax. But assuming that they raise taxes in a constitutional manner, they can only do it to pay the debts of the United States and to provide for the common defense and general welfare. That's it. Now, then below that, they go out and enumerate specific things that they can do. But that one little paragraph right, has been misinterpreted by Supreme Courts to mean that pretty much the government can do whatever it wants. Right Today, they say that, well, the general welfare means anything the government wants to do, it can do. And the general welfare gives the government broad and unlimited powers. Well, how can that be? If the federal government has few powers, how can the general welfare mean that it can do whatever it wants? It doesn't. The general welfare means things that benefit everybody. It is not the specific welfare of an individual or of a region or of a group or or of a state. It is something that benefits everybody equally, right? When the government does something that benefits a particular individual or a particular group, whether it's, uh, let's say, a welfare payment or if it's aid, maybe there's a flood somewhere and they, they give aid to the flood victims, That doesn't benefit the whole country. It benefits the people who get the aid at the expense of the people who have to pay for that aid. None of that falls under the general welfare. Now, they try to argue that, well, the whole country is better off if we take money from some people and give it to others. No, it's not. That is not general welfare. That is specific welfare. And the government does not have the power constitutionally to spend for the specific welfare of anybody. It can only spend for the general welfare of of everybody. You know, also interestingly, it says that it can pay the debts of the United States, right? That's it. It cannot pay the debts of other nations. Yet, think about all the time that the United States obligates Americans to pay debts of foreign countries, foreign governments. It's not allowed to do that. And more specifically, look at the very first power that is enumerated under this paragraph that they can borrow money on the credit of the United States. So Congress shall have the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Where does it say that they have the power to lend money? They don't. They can't lend money. Yet you have the government lending money to all sorts of of groups or uh, individuals. It provides loans, provides subsidies, it provides guarantees. None of that is authorized by the Constitution. In fact, again, if you look at Article 1, Section 8 and read these powers, and I'm going to read the rest of them here to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. 
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right to regulate commerce with foreign nations. Commerce. Now, the problem with that little sentence, to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states, this is now known as the Commerce Clause. And apparently, according to the Supreme Court, this also gives the government broad powers to do whatever it wants. You know, I talk a lot about the minimum wage. You know, the minimum wage was originally considered unconstitutional. And the way they said it was constitutional was they said, well, it's they're regulating commerce. Well, what does the minimum wage have to do with commerce? Well, what these idiots in the Supreme Court said is that since the Congress is given the power to regulate commerce, they can regulate anybody who's engaged in commerce. That is not what the clause says. See, the, the Supreme Court justified the minimum wage by saying, well, any company that's engaged in interstate commerce then the government can make any rules that it wants. And so since you engage in interstate commerce, we're going to force you to have the minimum wage. In fact, initially, if you can prove that what you did, you know, there was no interstate commerce, that you were producing a product that was only consumed uh, within your state, then you could say, well, I'm not going to have to abide by the minimum wage because I'm not engaging in interstate commerce. But then, you know, the government found ways of saying, well, in your company, are you using something? that was imported or are you from another state or are you using a product that traveled on a road that you know originated in another you know they they found a way of saying look any company that uses anything that that originated within within another state is engaged in interstate commerce and so they were able to to make the net bigger and bigger to ensnare more and more businesses under this clause but this clause does not give congress the power to regulate companies that engage in commerce they only have the right to regulate the commerce itself, right? Meaning that, okay, you know, you're not going to have tariffs between one state and another, right? You can make sure that there's a, a, a free flow of goods and services over state borders. There is nothing here that gives the federal government the power to regulate each business that engages in commerce. It's not there. Here, look at the next thing. To establish a uniform rule of nationalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States, okay? So they can set up a bankruptcy code. I mean, if the general welfare meant that they could do whatever they wanted, I mean, what's the point of having the rest of Article One, Section 8? I mean, why not just say the federal government could do whatever it wants and just leave it at that, right? What's the point of enumerating these powers? Here, then it says to coin money, regulate the value thereof, and a foreign coin, and fix the standards of weights and measures. Why bother? If general welfare means they can do whatever the hell they want, then, you know, then obviously they can coin money. And, you know, coin money doesn't mean print money. It means to coin money. It means to take gold and silver and turn it into a coin. 
Now, how do I know that? Well, I know that in a couple of reasons. One, if you go to Article 1, Section 10, which is the portion of the Constitution that denies powers to the states, the states are denied not only the right to coin money, but the right to emit bills of credit. That was paper money. They called it bills of credit. And the state was specifically denied the ability to do both. So they couldn't coin money and they can't issue bills of credit. The only thing the states can do is make gold and silver legal tender. Now, there's nothing in Article 1, Section 8 that gives the federal government the right to make anything legal tender. All they can do is coin money, but they can't make anything legal tender. It's only the states that can make something legal tender, and they're prohibited from making anything other than gold and silver legal tender. So since the only thing that the Constitution says could be legal tender is gold and silver, and if the Congress has the power to coin money, then what are they going to coin? Gold and silver, because that's the only thing that can be money. Also, there was earlier drafts of the Constitution, and in the, the earliest drafts, the Constitution said that Congress shall have the power to coin money and emit bills of credit but they voted to eliminate emit bills of credit. And I think they struck it nine to two because the states specifically did not want the federal government printing money. And so they took away the power. So they don't have it. Now, of course, if the general welfare meant they could do whatever they want, well then, gee, they could just print money and say it's for the general welfare. But obviously that wasn't the case because they put that power in there and then they took it away. And in fact, one of the reasons that the Federal Reserve was created was because they were doing something that Congress had no authority to do. They were creating paper money. They were issuing bills of credit. So since the federal government couldn't do it constitutionally, they created this private company, right, the Federal Reserve, a private corporation, to do indirectly what the Constitution prohibited the federal government from doing directly. Well, let me read down more of these powers. To provide for the punishment of counterfeiting, the securities and the current coin of the United States. That's one of the federal crimes counterfeiting here. To establish post offices and post roads. Now, why bother writing that in there, right? I mean, I mean, couldn't you make an argument that the post office is for the general welfare and, you know, we need roads, you know, for the general welfare? Well, no, they put it in there. That proves that they needed to put it in there. They, if they didn't put it in there, somebody could have argued that Congress has no authority Uh, to establish a post office because it's not for the general welfare. Now, to me, a post office is much more for the general welfare than almost everything else the government does, because at least, you know, anybody who wants to use the post office benefits from post offices. But apparently they thought that they needed to enumerate it to make sure that the federal government could actually do it. Now, obviously, that shows that they, they knew that general welfare didn't mean they can do whatever the hell they want because whatever the hell they want would include post office. Here, to promote the progress of science and the useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. Here, patents, copyrights is provided in the Constitution. Why bother? The government can do whatever it wants. Then, you know, why bother listing that? Here, tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court to define and punish piracy and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the laws of nation. To declare war, grant letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water. To raise and support armies, but by no appropriation of money to the use shall be for a longer term than two years. To provide and maintain a navy, to make rules for the government and regulations for the land and naval forces. 
Now, I guess you can include, you know, the Air Force now, because obviously they didn't have airplanes uh, back in uh, the time that they ratified the Constitution. But clearly, you can make an argument that an Air Force would fall within the same powers of national defense, general welfare, right? To provide for calling forth the militia, to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrection and repel invasion, to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for the governing of such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, servicing to the states respectively, to the apportionment of officers and authorities and maintaining militia, according to the discipline prescribed by Congress, to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over the district, right? Not exceeding 10 square miles, as made by session of particular states and the acceptance of Congress. They're talking about Washington, D.C., because the seat of government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the state shall be from the erection of forts, uh, magazines, arsenals, dockyards and others needing buildings, etc. And and this is another this is the final part. And this is another part that the Supreme Court has twisted uh, to try to create the, the Constitution. They now describe it as a living, breathing document. This is now the elastic clause, what I'm about to read. This little passage, this sentence has done tremendous damage to our country. To make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or agency thereof. Now, what that basically means is they have the power to enact laws to be able to do what Article 1, Section 8 says they can do. And that's it. So they have the right to establish a post office. Okay, we see that. So they can enact the laws that are necessary and proper to having a post office. It does not mean that they can do whatever they want. Like the Supreme Court says, this is some kind of elastic clause. Congress can do whatever they feel is necessary and proper. If that was the point, then we wouldn't need to enumerate these powers. We would just say Congress can do whatever it wants. But if Congress could really do whatever it wants, if it can tax however it wanted, if it can spend for whatever reason it wanted, then why would James Madison, the father of the Constitution, say that the federal government's powers are few and defined? According to the current Supreme Court, they're infinite. They're not defined at all. The government can do whatever it wants, which is clear nonsense if you look at the Constitution. I mean, look at these powers of Congress, legislative branch, Article 1, Section 8. There, this is a short section of the Constitution. There's nothing in here about the government providing health care. There's nothing in here about the government involvement in education. In None of this is written here. There's nothing in here about uh, old age pensions. There's nothing in here about uh, programs for the poor, anti-poverty programs. There's nothing in here about emergency aid, about disaster relief. I mean, all the things that the federal government now does are completely unconstitutional. There is no congressional or constitutional authority for any of these expenditures. When the government creates these agencies, departments for housing to guarantee mortgages and to provide mortgages and to guarantee student loans, none of that stuff is authorized. I mean, again, I read earlier, Congress has the right to borrow money. They don't have the right to lend money. Why doesn't it say it here? If the founders wanted the government to make loans, it would say to lend money. It doesn't say that. If the founders wanted the federal government to guarantee private debts of citizens, 
it would say that too. It would say Congress shall have the power to guarantee the debts of students, to guarantee the debts of homeowners who take out mortgages. None of that is there. The only thing that the federal government can do is what is specifically authorized it can do in the Constitution. And again, that is what makes America, America. It is the limiting powers of the federal government. We came together as free, sovereign people and created a federal government to secure our rights and secure our liberties, and that's it. We didn't create the government to give us anything that we didn't already have. You have all these people now demanding stuff from government, demanding rights. You don't demand rights. What they want are privileges. You know, one of the things that the Constitution says is there'll be no titles of nobility in this country. We didn't want to have anybody to have special privileges. That's what the noble class was, right? They had special privileges that the commoners didn't have. Well, there is no nobility in the United States because no one man is above another. We are all created equal. We all have our inalienable rights of life, liberty, property, the pursuit of happiness. And it's up to us to pursue happiness. It's not up to the government to bestow it upon us. If you don't have something, you don't look to the government to give it to you. What the government is there to do is to protect what you have naturally, to make sure other people cannot infringe on your rights, that they can't take things away from you, that you are secure in your possessions and your property. But when the government promises to give somebody something, by definition, it has to take something away from somebody else. And that is a violation of everything that it means to be an American. And so when we are celebrating the 4th of July, what we really need to be doing is mourning the death of that nation, the death of liberty, the death of independence. What we have now is dependence. Every American wants to depend on everybody else. This nation is not supposed to be a nation of dependence. It is supposed to be a nation of rugged individuals, sovereign men and women whose rights are supreme, who do not bow down to a government master. The government is the servant of the people. And that doesn't mean you send your servant out to steal from your fellow Americans. It means that you respect their rights and their property. And if you want health care, then you got to go out and you've got to earn it on your own. That is the birthright of every American to go out and to achieve and earn to the best of their ability. Now, you might say, well, what if some people don't have that ability? What if some people aren't ambitious or aren't intelligent and they get sick? Well, you know what happens in a free society? You ask your fellow free citizens for their help and they voluntarily give it. And that's what America was about for a long time. We had a huge tradition of philanthropy. In fact, we still do. But I think that tradition has been diminished over the generations based on the cultivation of the welfare state, based on the enormous federal government and the taxing uh, you know, that it does, where it confiscates so much wealth from productive Americans that those Americans are struggling just to get by. So they clearly don't have enough resources to help Americans uh, who, for whatever reason, cannot achieve the things that they need, right? There, there was, I think, a lot more charitable giving 100 years ago than there is today because the government allowed uh, Americans to keep more of what they earned. And since they kept more of what they earned, uh, they obviously had more money with which to be charitable. And of course, the principal benefit of private versus public charity is that 
Private charity A is voluntary, but it's much more efficient because individuals make sure that the recipients of the aid are the principal beneficiaries of the money. Whereas when government is organized supposedly to supplant the free market and perform charitable giving, the vast majority of the money confiscated from the public does not go to the intended recipients of the charity, but it goes to maintain the government bureaucracy. When the government takes a dollar from a citizen by force, it only gives 10 cents to some poor person. 90 cents are consumed by the apparatus of government. Whereas in the private sector, let's say a private charity raises a dollar in voluntary donations, 90 cents goes to the intended recipient and only 10 cents goes to pay the administrative costs of the charity. So it is much more efficient when charitable giving is done voluntarily by the free market, not coercively uh, by a powerful government. But again, more importantly than the economics of it, it is the politics of it. The government simply does not have the power. Where in Article 1, Section 8, does it give the government the right to be a charity? Where does it say the government is there to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to care for the sick, to house uh, the homeless? None of that is there. And you can't say that that is part of the general welfare because it's clearly not. Again, look to the, the Federalist Papers. Look at how the people who wrote the Constitution described what the general welfare meant and what it didn't mean. And if the general welfare meant they could do whatever it wanted, then what was the point of listing all of these other specific things the government could do if all those things were included in the general welfare? They were not. The writers of the Constitution were simply talking about the government doing things that benefit the entirety of the nation as a whole, right? Not for any one particular faction or group or region. And this has been blown out of proportion, just like the Commerce Clause, just like the Necessary and Popper Clause. The Supreme Court has done a, a tremendous disservice to America by so broadening the scope of federal powers so that now the government can do whatever it wants. And so I started off on this podcast by talking about what made it unique to be an American. None of that exists anymore. Thanks to the Supreme Court, thanks to the usurpation of power, by the federal government that was specifically denied to it by the Constitution or not authorized to it by the Constitution, we now have an all-powerful federal government that can do whatever the hell it wants, and therefore there's nothing special about being American. There's nothing now that defines us or makes us different. If we now have a sovereign nation and we simply exist based on the charity of that government, that that government simply claims ownership to everything that we have, they can take all of our money, there's no limit to how much they can tax us. There's no limit to what they can spend our money on. I mean, we have to be grateful for any money they let us keep. And in fact, that's how they look at it. The government basically today in America looks like they own 100% of our paychecks. And whatever they let us keep, we should be grateful for the crumbs, right? They own all of our labor. It's like we all live on one gigantic plantation and we're all slaves to the U.S. government. And we have to beg the government for whatever they let us keep, right? This is not... The way America was founded. This is not what we're supposed to be honoring when we talk about Independence Day. It's so unfortunate that we've lost our independence. And why did we lose it? Because we voted it away. Americans were, were, were lulled into a false sense of confidence by being promised something from government. 
And that is it. And that is what the framers said when they gave us this republic. And again, if you want to look at the Constitution, the Constitution doesn't mention the word democracy. It doesn't mention it once. What it mentions is republic. The Constitution says that the, the United States shall guarantee to every state in the union a republican form of government. And that doesn't mean Republicans, Democrats. It means republic. It doesn't mean democracy. But because we became a democracy, when Benjamin Franklin was asked, what have you given us, Mr. Franklin? He said, a republic, if you can keep it, because he knew how difficult it was to maintain a republic. America was an experiment in self-government. It was an experiment in allowing the people to create a government of limited powers, right? They didn't set up a monarchy. They could have created the United States as a monarchy. They could have made George Washington a king. In fact, they wanted to make him a king. He didn't want to be a king, right? So we could have created another monarchy, a constitutional monarchy. We could have limited the power of the monarch. And you know, in hindsight, we might've been better off had we done that. We were very successful for the first 100, 150 years, but unfortunately, we couldn't keep uh, that republic for long. We had the progressive movement, and then we had the New Deal, and then we had the Great Society, and now here we are, right? We've lost all the things that the founders feared would happen, happened. It took a while, but it happened. But that is why I said at the beginning, it is with mixed emotions that I celebrate the 4th of July, because I know I know what this country was, and I know what it what it should be, and I know what it could be, potentially, but unfortunately, I know what it's become. The nation of the handout, the nation of entitlements, the nation of ask not what you could do for your country, ask what your country can do for you. I mean, amazing that Jack Kennedy actually spoke those words, but do you, does that have anything to do with the Democratic Party? All it is is about what my country can do for me. What can I get for free? And nobody has any conception of where all that free stuff comes from. It comes from stealing from other people. It comes from eliminating freedom, eliminating liberty. You can't, you know, you're talking about, oh, I want all this free health care. Provided by whom? I mean, are we going to conscript the doctors into service and force them to provide health care to people? I mean, you have to think about where does healthcare come from? Doctors, hospitals, the, you know, people have to volunteer their time. You can't conscript them. You can't force them. You can't compel them to do work. That's involuntary servitude. So it is, it is very unfortunate the way the character of this great republic has changed over time and what it means. Because Americans, you know, we used to walk around, and of course, not me because I wasn't alive back then, but Americans, when they traveled the world, Americans knew how different they were, how special it was to be an American. It's not that special anymore. It's no different than being anybody else. You got all sorts of governments now that are big and powerful and can do whatever they want. So what is what is the difference between being an American? Yes, at one point we were a great, powerful, wealthy country. That's not America today. We are mired in debt. We borrow money from everybody. We owe money to everybody, right? Americans have no savings. They, you know, we, the government tells us what we can do, what we can do, what we can eat, what we can't eat, what drugs we can take, what drugs we can't take. There's no, almost nothing in our lives that the government doesn't tell us what we can do. And this is not what it's supposed to be to be an American. Americans are supposed to be sovereign, free individuals deciding for themselves what they're going to do. And if they make a bad decision, well, that's it, right? We have to live with the consequences of our decisions. If we make a good decision, we profit. If we make a bad decision, then we suffer. And we mind our own business. We don't tell our neighbors what to do. 
We allow people to make their own mistakes because you know what? Maybe they're not going to make a mistake. If you think you know better what your neighbor should do, you don't. Most people have a hard enough time doing what's right for themselves, but trying to impose what you believe is right on other people when you don't even bear the consequences if your decisions are wrong. So go if you haven't, again, go and read the Constitution. Most people probably have never even looked at it. Read it. Right? It's, again, it's not written in Chinese. It doesn't need to be interpreted. It's easy to see what this nation was supposed to be. Read, go get the book, read the entirety of the Federalist Papers. And if you really want to get into it, read the Elliott Debates. Learn about the Constitution, because you're not going to learn about it in school. You know, they don't teach anything about what the Constitution really means in American schools. So do yourself a favor and learn about what it means, what it really means to be an American, what it used to mean to be an American. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean this today, but it should mean this. And hopefully one day, America will reclaim its heritage and we will one day be the free people that the founding fathers intended us to be and the free people that built the most powerful, the wealthiest country in the history of the world. The middle class was built in America by freedom. It wasn't built by government programs and by handouts and by redistribution. It was built on the foundation of freedom and liberty. The government didn't get involved. These things happened on their own. It was government involvement that slowed down the progress and ultimately reversed it. And the problems that we have today are not a byproduct of the failure of the free market, but of a failure of government to allow the free market and as a failure of the Supreme Court to allow the government, the federal government, to usurp powers not authorized to it by the Constitution and destroy the very nature of this republic from one of limited government with powers few and far between and powerful sovereign individuals to a nation of an all-powerful federal government with unlimited power to wreak all the havoc that it wants and citizens that are mere slaves of a government master. You know, I love the 4th of July as a holiday. You know, it is something that is a American holiday. I mean, obviously, other countries have similar dates to commemorate the birth of their nation or their independence. Our Canadian neighbors to the north, they just celebrated Canada Day on Monday. But it's different from other holidays where the whole world is celebrating at the same time. You know, whether you have New Year's Day or they're celebrating Christmas or Easter, you know, religious holidays that, that everybody shares. It's, you know, a, a, an American holiday like, like Thanksgiving, which is another reason that I, that I like that holiday. Because, again, it's something that really celebrates part of the American experience. But one of the things or the problems I have with the 4th of July is not only does it make me feel good about what happened back in July 4th of 1776 and you know am I honored to have been born in the nation that was conceived in liberty and I you know and I and I feel you know you go back and you think about the sacrifices that were made by the people that signed on beneath John Hancock's name to that document uh, where they risked their lives and their fortunes. I mean, these were wealthy men, uh, you know, having a good life. And that was treason to put your name on the Declaration of Independence. I mean, if we had lost that war, right, the king would have, you know, killed all the uh, founding fathers uh, as being traitors. 
And so you think back at, at what was accomplished and the sacrifices that were made and the, the incredible republic that our founders created. And, you know, I'm proud of that. But at the same time, I'm sad that it's all been lost, that we no longer have the nation uh, that our founders created for us, that we have lost all that it means to be an American. There, it used to be so special to be American based on the type of nation that we were and the type of individuals that Americans were and what it meant to be an American and how unique and how privileged it was. Today, you know, even though, you know, America is still regarded as the top uh, nation, and again, a lot of that is a function of, of debt and it's all an illusion, uh, but the difference between an American and a European or anybody else these days is, is not nearly as great as it used to be. You know, if you have never read the Declaration of Independence, and I'm sure most of you probably had at some point, maybe in seventh grade civics course, but you might want to take another look at it and give the entire document a read. But I'm going to read just part of the second paragraph, because this is really probably the most important aspect to get to understand the essence of what America is supposed to be and what American government is supposed to represent and do. Because this is important now with all the socialists that are out there, right, that want to uh, redefine America, a democratic socialism, to actually understand, you know, the role of government in America. I mean, governments can have different roles in different countries, but in America, there is a certain role that government is supposed to have and that it had for a long time, but that it no longer uh, fulfills. So here's from the second paragraph of the Declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That is key to what America is all about. The framers are saying that governments are created from the people they govern. You don't start at the top down, like Europe with a king, right? It's, it's it, free men are creating government. They are ceding some of their power to government. And why are they doing that? What is government's role? Government is there to secure life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, our unalienable rights. Government is instituted to secure the rights that we already have. And it's very important to understand that and the distinction between securing our liberties and our rights and giving us stuff. Government is not here to give you stuff. Government is not here to provide you with things. Government is not here to educate you. It's not here to take care of your health, to feed you, to clothe you, to house you. Government is not here to provide you with happiness. Government is here to allow you to pursue happiness on your own, right? There's a big difference between giving you something you don't have and protecting the things that you do have because that's where governments, they get their power 
from individuals. Individuals don't have a right to use force against other individuals. I don't have a right to steal property from my neighbor, but I do have the right to prevent my neighbor from stealing property from me. But what happens in a country is individuals get together and they give that authority to a government, a central authority to act defensively. So governments are there to use force to secure what we have, right? To protect my life from somebody who would take my life, to protect my liberty from somebody who would infringe on my liberty, to protect my property, right, from people who might steal my property because acquiring property is part of the pursuit of happiness. How do I pursue happiness? Well, I acquire things that make me happy, among other things. I, I acquire property. I get a house. Maybe I get a car, get a boat. Right? Maybe I get uh, a cell phone. I get a television set. You know? And of course, a lot of things, you know, leisure can make you happy. Family can make you happy. Uh, all sorts of relationships can make you happy. But you're allowed to pursue these things. The government doesn't do this for you. The government doesn't give you stuff to make you happy because the government doesn't have anything to give. If the government gives you something, they have to take it from somebody else. But that's not why governments are instituted. They are not instituted to use force to take things from other people and give them to you. They're there to use force to protect what you have and make sure other people don't steal it from you. You know, even uh, John Kennedy, President Kennedy, who I'm not a big fan of Kennedy. I think he's a very overrated uh, president. But one thing that he said was, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. But unfortunately today, everybody is asking what their country can do for them, right? Independence is not just American independence from the British. It's about individuals being independent, right? Being self-reliant, the rugged individual. I mean, we might as well rename our holiday Dependence Day. Because everybody in America wants to depend on the government. They want to look to the government for everything. They want the government to provide them with the things that they think they need to be happy. That's what all this socialism is all about, right? It's about government giving you stuff that you don't have because you think you have a right to be happy. You don't. You have a right to pursue happiness. You don't have a right to achieve happiness. That's up to you. But the beauty of the American system is if government sticks to this limited powers that it has, more people are happy. If the government just gets out of the way and protects you, right, and, and, and basically has a system of private property and a rule of law so that individuals can freely pursue their own happiness, secure in the knowledge that their life, liberty, and property is being protected by government, they can achieve happiness. If you surrender all those powers to the government, if you have an all-powerful government and you charge it with making you happy and providing you with things, then nobody is happy. You think people were happy living in the old Soviet Union or in, in, in China when it was communist? There's a lot more happiness in China now that now that they have a lot less government. Now that it's not really a communist country from an economic perspective, there's a lot more happiness. And, and so... The reason that Americans initially were able to achieve the degree of happiness that they did was because we had a limited government. And we pretty much held true to these principles throughout the, the 19th century. It wasn't really until the 20th century that we started eating away at the foundation of our liberties. And the, the whole character of the nation really started to turn 
uh, through first with the populist movement and then, of course, with the New Deal uh, during the, uh, the Great Depression, governments gained tremendous power. And really the nature of government changed and what it really meant to be an American changed. And we've been on a, on a downward slope ever since. You know, and I look back at the revolution and wonder, you know, would America be better off had we remained part of Britain, had we never had a revolution? It's hard to say. I mean, we had, again, a great 19th century. It's hard to imagine that the century would have been better had we been, uh, you know, a colony of Britain. But then look at how Britain governed Hong Kong. I mean, the British governed Hong Kong much better than they governed themselves, right? The British, you know, went down that slippery slope into socialism, right? But not in Hong Kong. I mean, they did a beautiful job with Hong Kong. And maybe they would have treat, treated the American colonies as well as they treated Hong Kong, right? And so who knows uh, what would have happened to the United States if we remained a colony in the spirit of Hong Kong. Now, who knows if that uh, would have been how you know, how Britain would have, uh, would have treated the United States. But if you remember, why did we even fight the Revolutionary War, right? Taxation without representation. But if you look at the amount of taxation that the colonists were, you know, rebelling against, I mean, it was tiny. I mean, it wasn't like King George imposed an income tax on the colonists and he sent a bunch of IRS agents over here. I mean, I mean, could you imagine? I mean, that would have, I mean, that everybody would have, uh, joined in on the cause. And I think only about a third of the, the country was even in favor of independence at the time. But believe me, if there was an IRS that people had to keep track of their wages and pay 30% of what they earned to King George, I mean, every single person would have been revolting. I mean, the taxes were tiny. And, and obviously, we're taxing ourselves in ways that are far more oppressive than anything that, that King George would have even contemplated in his wildest dreams. Yet somehow, you know, our government is able to get away with it. I mean, just because we're able to vote, just because we have representation. I mean, I would take low taxation without representation, then high taxation, confiscatory taxation with representation. Remember, that's why I moved to Puerto Rico. See, I moved to Puerto Rico and I can no longer vote for anybody in Congress and I can't vote for president. So I no longer have representation but I also no longer have the taxation. I don't have to pay the personal income tax living in Puerto Rico. I don't have to pay the capital gains tax. I don't have to pay the Obamacare tax. So I'm okay with that, right? I'm okay with losing my representation if I can get rid of all that taxation. No, I still have to pay some taxes, uh, but I don't have to pay the majority of the taxes. And I think today, Americans, self-governing Americans, living under the tyranny of Washington, D.C., Americans today have it far worse as far as their liberties and their freedoms than colonists did prior to the Revolutionary War. So even though we fought a Revolutionary War to gain freedom and to gain liberty and to become more independent, we actually accomplished the reverse. Now, it took a long time to, to go full circle or more than first circle, but we are now clearly, by any objective measure, less free than we were before we fought the Revolutionary War. And we face more regulations and higher taxes coming from our own capital, Washington, D.C., than anything that King George could have dreamed up. In fact, just in our state legislatures, right, on a state level, we're facing higher taxes than anybody in the colonies faced uh, from the crown in Great Britain, just on the state level, 
before you even start factoring in uh, what's going on uh, from Washington, D.C. So it's, you know, it's a great American holiday. But for me, again, it's it's bittersweet, right? Because I, there's parts of it that that make me proud and, and, and excite me about being American. And there's other parts that just make me sad. When you think about what it used to be to be American and what it means now, I mean, how much more enthusiastic I could have celebrated this holiday 100 years ago, 150 years ago. Just imagine just celebrating how special it was, the uniqueness of America, this, this experiment in freedom, in liberty, in liber limited government that had really not been uh, replicated anywhere else in the world. We were we were unique. We were pioneers, right? We were going where no man had gone before, and what we created was magnificent. We produced the highest living standards that the world has ever seen, not just for the rich, but for the middle class and for the poor. And remember, I mean, Europe had a huge head start on us. Asia, I mean, there was nothing here when the pilgrims landed, right? I mean, you know, America is a young nation compared to a lot of other nations. So we we got a late start. The rest of the world had a big lead on us, but we over, you know, we surpassed everybody. We caught up and then passed everybody by a mile. And the reason we were able to do that is because we were freer than everybody else. That is the comparative advantage that America had. We had a comparative advantage in freedom, and freedom means the lack of government. The less government you have, the more freedom you have. And the freer you are, the more prosperous you are because the more that you produce, right? The, you know, it's, it's private enterprise that lifts living standards, that raises people out of poverty, not government. Government just redistributes whatever wealth the private sector creates. But the more government you have, the less wealth the private sector is capable of creating. And, and so the key to a high living standard is a small government. And, and that's what we had to the, to the degree that no other country had it. And so that's how we had this big lead. But we've blown our lead. We no longer have the highest living standards in the world, not even close. And how did we blow this massive lead? You know, by blowing our comparative advantage, by blowing up an enormous government, by adding regulations and taxes that made us no better than any other country. And in fact, made us worse than a lot of countries. And now the only thing propping us up is the fact that we're able to keep borrowing money to buy stuff that we can no longer produce because the world is dumb enough to lend it to us. So we have this gigantic global Ponzi scheme in our debt, and we can keep on going deeper and deeper into debt, borrowing money that we can never repay to import products that we can't afford and didn't produce. And I think, again, we are on the verge of a major economic crisis that's going to bring America's living standards back down to earth and more commensurate with our actual productivity. We've been living beyond our means and that's going to end and we're going to have to live within our means. And since our means have been so dramatically reduced over the years, uh, that's going to be a, a, a rude awakening for uh, the vast majority of Americans.